Welcome to another edition of the Hawk Off the Press podcast. I'm your host, Gazette Hawkeyes reporter, John Steffi. I am excited to welcome back to the podcast, Lisa Salucci, head coach of Iowa Field Hockey. Lisa, thanks for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me, John. I really appreciate it. So starting to get into that postseason time of year, senior day on Friday at Grant Field, then Big Ten tournament in Columbus next week, and then NCAAs the following week. Before looking ahead, though, let's look back a little bit. It's been a little bit of a rough patch. Of course, rough patch for Iowa field hockey is a little different than other programs when you're only number 10 in the country. But three straight losses, shutouts in those three games. What's the key for getting this team back on track? Yeah, you know, we we need some goals to, to drop. <laughs> really, that's been our the bane in our side is, you know, I think we've def- defended really well, a um, couple miscues here or there in transition, but, you know, we just haven't been able to find find the back of the net. And, you know, we put ourselves in, in a lot of different situations, and it's really been kind of an unfortunate situation, especially in the last, our, our Ohio State game, you know, we outstatted them in a big way, hit the post. There was a sports center, world class, like actually on sports center, defensive save, um, things like that. So, you know, I would it's it's been frustrating for the group, but I um, we're kind of welcoming the adversity right now because you're going to see all sorts of different situations in the postseason. Um, and we'd rather go through this now uh, than than later. So we really just have to get back to doing what we do well, which is build the ball move the ball, um, and and really have a little bit more poise in the scoring circle, to be quite honest. How helpful has it been to have somebody as experienced as Grace McGuire to be able to keep you in some of these games when the offense just hasn't been there? Yeah, I mean, it's huge. I mean, Grace, along with our, our back three, really, Anta and Loka and Harper, they have been fantastic. And against some really high-potent scoring teams in Michigan, you know, top eight team, um, Grace was fantastic, had some wonderful saves, um, and those guys really defended well in transition. So, you know, always glad to count on our experienced defense. Um, Going to be sad to, to, to honor some of those guys on senior day on Friday, but uh, where we like to hold on to them for a little bit longer or so. Yeah. This is quite the senior class that you have. Yes, I know. I've been dreading this day for quite a while, John. I've had <laughs> most of them for, for five years. Um, and they've just been an unbelievable group for Iowa field hockey. And wow, what a decorated class and what they've accomplished over the last five years. So we're going to celebrate them and then quickly get to beating Michigan State. That's the goal. Uh, and then have, have some fun after the game and, and get a chance to really, really honor those guys. Any favorite moments with these seniors? Oh, man, there's been a lot. Uh, probably to 2019, uh, winning the Big Ten regular season and then turning around in, in four days and winning the Big Ten tournament um, in pretty dramatic fashion. Uh, and I mean, there's so many off the field moments. They, they, all of these guys have wonderful personalities, uh, pretty sarcastic, lots of funny different moments. But really, what's been so impressive is their their poise and their steadiness over five years and how they've just their true commitment to this program and and they they have really carried us so we're gonna miss them um but we're not done yet <laughs> and then looking ahead into postseason first big 10 tournament in columbus yeah. a spot where you could use a little bit of redemption absolutely uh we felt like we we played really well on that field. Like I said, we just couldn't get the goals to drop. And I'll tell you, we've had some great success in the Big Ten tournament in Columbus in the past and 
2007, we won the Big Ten tournament there. 2013, made it to the championship game. So we have some good mojo when we get it going. Um, it's going to be tough. Everybody, you know, we have five teams in the Big Ten in the top 10. So, you know, the first round games, you're going to be playing a top 10 matchup, which that's okay. Well, it's great preparation going forward. But, you know, our goal is to stay in Columbus for till Sunday <laughs> and not have an early exit. So, you know, we, again, we have to just rely on what we're good on, good at. And then we have to just make sure that, um, you know, we keep, keep the grit, the momentum going and, and put teams on their heels. And then how important are these next few games here for your NCAA tournament resume? Yeah, they're, they're very, very important. I mean, first and foremost, Friday, which we're not looking past. I mean, this is the best Michigan State team they've had in a couple of years. Super physical. They're really good in transition, and they've played very tight matches with everybody in the Big Ten. So we have to get this one because it's a it's a regional game. Um, and right now we're, you know, in a battle with with Michigan and Louisville and Northwestern really in our in our West region. So that's really important. And then, you know, I think for us, for sure, we have to get a first round win. The good thing um, where we are, I think there's, a, you know, about 75 other Division One teams that wish they were in the position we're in. So not all is lost. We're still in the top 10 in the RPI and the KPI and our strength of schedule is really high. So and we have some really quality wins, but we, we more so just we need to get continue to have some wins. So that like last last couple games performance gives us some momentum. You started talking about this a bit, but what's your pitch to the tournament committee? as they're looking at who should be those eight at large teams. Yeah, I'll tell you, I think we, we have a, our strength of schedules in the top five in the country. So that right there is huge. Um, you know, we haven't had a loss out of the RPI top 20 and there's only one, every other one has been within the top 10. Um, and, you know, we've had some really quality wins against some top, top 10, top 15 teams, the number one team in the country beating Northwestern. Um, and I think, we can play with anybody in the country. And I, I hope this committee knows that and how we've proven it over the last couple of years. So I really do hope if it, if we need it, we get a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, but there's a lot of the of facts there that we've just, you know, we've stayed in the top 10 and in, in all of these categories all year. So my gosh, I would hope we would be one of those eight at larges. And then a little bit of an unusual scheduling thing this year that I'm sure has been part of the reason why your strength of schedule is in the top five. When you play Michigan, not just in Big Ten play, but also as a non-conference game this past weekend in Evanston, how did that come together? Yeah, so, you know, out here in the West region, Michigan, Iowa, Northwest, you know, we have a tougher time scheduling sometimes and really filling out a full 20-game schedule. Um, and so we were both, Michigan and us, we were having a hard time. Uh, the head coach of Michigan's a Hawk, a former Hawkeye, who I know really well. Um, and so we we were like, we need an extra game. And we didn't want to play someone that was, you know, really outside of the top 10 in the event we win or lose. So it really does help us for the NCAA tournament. And it's just a great game to play. So, you know, we decided to play each other at Northwestern because they were playing there. So neutral location. Um, and it was, it was a great battle, you know, a one zero game win for them, but, uh, that's kind of really how it came about. We both needed a game. Let's play each other. We know each other. Well, it's always fun. And neither way, it's not going to really hurt, you know, hurt, hurt either one of us. So it's kind of potentially maybe where you could be playing come NCAA Correct. tournament time. Oh, 100%. Yeah. The, the only thing that's going to be crazy here is with everybody, we're going to have like a couple team tie here in the big 10 with how we finish. So we could see Michigan again in the first round which would be unfortunate to play three games like this close together, but you know, it is, it is what it is. So. 
Well, Lisa, thanks for joining me. Yeah, John, thanks so much for having us on. And if everybody could stay tuned into Iowa Field Hockey, that would be great. We'll take any support we can get. And the next chance to do that will be Friday at, I believe it's 4 p.m. at Grant Field for Senior Day against Michigan State. Yeah, awesome. Thanks so much, John. My next guest on the Hawk Off the Press podcast, I'm excited to welcome Scott Docterman from The Athletic. Scott, welcome back to the pod. Thanks for having me, John. I hope you're doing well. And you as well in this interesting college football season. Yes, it's been great. Uh, we've had so much going on uh, off the field. I mean, you know, granted, we cover Iowa, so we see it pretty much up close. But, you know, I've also spent a lot of time doing stuff, kind of Big Ten and beyond this year, and I, as I do every year. And so, yeah, it's uh, there's, there's a lot with the college football playoff, with media rights, upcoming schedules, uh, the potential for for a you know, divisionless structure in 2024 expansion. So it's, and then the, the games themselves have been rather interesting um, and fun beyond uh, what the ones we cover. <laughs> well, let's start with some of the Big Ten, bigger Big Ten news that you broke earlier this week about the Big Ten sticking with the East and West divisions for one more year for 2023. And then 2024, they'll reconfigure with the additions of USC and UCLA. And starting from an Iowa perspective, it seems like the longer you have this East-West setup, the better it is for the Hawkeyes right now. It's definitely an easier path to get to Indianapolis if you're in the West than the East because you always have Goliath in your path, and that's Ohio State. And up until the last year to now two years it's kind of been a division um uh, in the league it's really been more like probably like three divisions uh, rather than two one is ohio state two is a, a block of about four or five teams and then everybody else and it doesn't matter which side of the line you are on that's kind of the way it, it shakes up the problem is for the eastern teams like like michigan penn state and michigan state which have been in that ballpark for you know over the the struck the east west divide and teams in the west wisconsin iowa northwestern has been there twice that in the path you don't have ohio state in the west you have ohio state in the east so if you're penn state like four years in a row penn state in the east would have qualified for a 12 team playoff but only made it to Indianapolis once and didn't make it to the 14 playoff and Ohio state did, even though Ohio state officially didn't win the division. So it's a, uh, it's a tough path for that side. And that's why there's a lot of desire of getting rid of it. And it's understandable. Uh, but if you're Iowa in the West, if you want to go narrow it all down, I mean, yes, you're, you're playing, it's the perfect Iowa division. You're playing all of your border rivals plus Purdue, which might as well be Eastern Illinois, because uh, it's just right across the Indiana, Illinois border. And you have histories with them that stretch a century plus, except for Nebraska, but, but you've, they've played Nebraska, you know, quite a few times over the years too. So I, I think it's, you know, you, you like that. Because there are a lot of, I'd say disagreements, but certainly um, some questions about what 2024 is going to bring as far as number of permanent opponents and frequency of how often you play them. And that's going to probably bring a little pain if you don't get to play the ones you really want. And I think if you're Iowa, you, you really just want to 
you know, you want to you want to play the ones that are local because it's easier for your fans to travel and you have such great history with them. Yeah, and the interesting thing with that is, okay, you're giving up games like the Purdue series that you say that's way down on the pecking order. Well, there's been some really good Iowa Purdue games. Maybe last year wasn't so good on the Iowa side, but you look at it, that's been a competitive series and you're going to lose some of those, but then you have other cross division matchups that you're going to see more often. I think people don't mind seeing more of Iowa against Penn state, just considering that one seems to be the least geographically logical rivalry like ever when you think of where those two schools are. It's the most organic though. And that's what Mm -hmm. makes it a great series. I wrote about it last year before the three versus four game that they've had so many great games dating back to, you know, really when Penn state joined the league, but especially in the Ferentz era where there's been some pain there, which you've got to have to have a rivalry um, back and forth craziness. Um, You know, Saquon Barkley's 300, 50-yard game in 2017 that was decided on the game's final play. I mean, it was it was a fantastic game. Um, 2009, um, over there, the block punt. 2008, they were number three and 9-0, and and Iowa wins on the last second field goal. Just, you know, the 6-4 game. There's just so much of that that, yeah, you know, and they were protected. Uh, it's semi-protected uh, for a six-year period from 2016 through 21 what happened was that they cycled off and every team had a six year block with another opponent on the opposite side. There's only one that's permanent and that's Indiana Purdue. So you just kind of over the, what the theory was, and we all knew this wasn't going to happen, but over 36 years, everybody would play somebody six straight years. And like Iowa's is Rutgers right now. Um, But yeah, as you said, you know, Iowa has great history with Michigan state, Um, you know, in, in the, D'Antonio Ferentz era, they played some just brawls, and then all of them were like 16 13, you know, including the, the greatest one of them all in the Big Ten Championship game. Iowa's history is interlinked with, you know, Michigan and Ohio State, Indiana to an extent. Um, so, yeah, it's great to be able to play those. And, and then you look at Purdue, has, has been, it's their third most played rival. Uh, I think it's up to 90 games. Um, you know, Illinois and Iowa uh, <laughs> you have a, an incredible history. Let's put it that way. <laughs> you know, at, at one point, I wrote this for the Gazette 10, 11 years ago, 2011, um, about kind of the, the history there where um, it was like 120-inch story. Uh, back in 1952, uh, when Forrest was there in his first year and, and a bunch of Iowa fans got mad at some calls and started throwing apples at the officials, and then they charged the, the field and went after the Illinois players. And one of the Illinois players named Rocky Ryan punched out um, an, an Iowa fan who grabbed him, broke the guy's jaw, um, and so I'm like, all right, I'm going to try to find this guy. Well, he died, but I talked to his sister and she kind of mentioned that that, that Thanksgiving had to eat his Thanksgiving turkey through a straw. Uh, <laughs> and, and then, uh, but he, she said it straightened him out. He became an Air Force Lieutenant Colonel and a doctor and had this great life. And, uh, but, but anyway, the teams decided we just can't play each other anymore. So for 15 straight years, they didn't play uh, Iowa and Illinois, you know, and, and it is the most intense basketball series Iowa has. 
Northwestern is a great series, and we'll find that out again this weekend. Um, as we know, Minnesota and Iowa have the richest history for the Hawkeyes. Uh, the Badgers and the Hawkeyes are very competitive. And then all it's going to take is some spark some year for Nebraska and Iowa to get really into that stuff. So the West Division is perfect for the Hawkeyes. The Big Ten as a whole was was really good. But as the expansion happens, you play these teams with less frequency, and that's kind of the unfortunate byproduct of expansion. Yeah, and you look at it, if the situation was different with the Nebraska game last year, if Iowa doesn't have those few key defensive and special teams plays, that might have added a little more juice to the rivalry. I think every Iowa fan is glad that that juice isn't there. and Instead, Iowa wins and they go to Indy. But it doesn't take much to get a rivalry game that is a little dormant to be, I guess, not so dormant and have that juice there. Oh, no. You know, the Iowa-Nebraska one's interesting because you have two really similar fan bases that are very, very passionate about their their teams. Nebraska is at an all-time low. I mean, it has been for a while now, and that's really it's really kind of a shame in the college football lexicon and, and history, but Iowa fans don't mind that, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, but it's the, the reason what, you know, when they join and the big 10 stapled them together in the, in the uh, legends column and decided we'll play, you guys will play last. And I think t- fans for both sides were a little, all right, this sounds like it could be fun. And it was like flat champagne the first couple of years. <laughs> and then, then it got a little, you know, there was some starch that went back and forth, but the fans chirp probably more, you know, for Iowa that, you know, in an Iowa Nebraska series, except for maybe Iowa state, it's really, you know, so it's, it's going to take once Nebraska gets good. And if there ever is a winner take all game to go to Indy or something, and it's, you know, two teams, maybe in the top 15, like some of the games with Wisconsin have been, then you'll see it just, it'll be crazy, but you know, Nebraska has to get off the mat. I assume they will at some point soon, but you know, and Iowa has to too, because it's all, you know, it's, it's went to Indy twice and um, you had to, you know, first time it didn't even have to be Nebraska, but it did to go 12 and 0. And then last year it did otherwise Minnesota went away. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, it, it'll be, it'll get there, but anyway, yeah, divisional setup one more year, then uh, they'll be in the ash heap of history along with legends and leaders, <laughs> you know, and selfishly, I will admit this is a very selfish point. I don't mind the idea of getting around to the other places and crossing more stadiums off my list. So especially if that means a trip down to L.A. maybe in November, I will never complain about that one. Yeah, and you'll get it. You know, you'll get I don't know if it'll be in November or not, but I assume that they're going to try to. You know, because some of the, the things with the media rights deals in 23 and beyond, but let's start with 24 when both L.A. schools are there. Uh, you know, when, now that they're going to have primetime games in November on NBC on, on Saturday night, they're going to want to have, I mean, it makes sense to have a, a couple of them at minimum in Los Angeles for weather purposes. And, and both the teams have prominence, especially USC. So you're going to want to get, you know, hey, if it's, if it's Iowa at, uh, USC or even UCLA, you know, hey, that's a really good window to, to have a night game. So 
you know, Pasadena would be nice <laughs> to get, get there and, uh, you know, maybe see the sunset over the San Gabriel Mountains. I'll take that view any day of the week. Uh, so, yeah, you're going to get out there more. What there, there's a couple different ways that they're looking at. There is not been decided. The most simple one, and it's one that really should take place, is uh, everybody protects three teams, and then you rotate everybody else, uh, and you play them twice over a four-year period. That's pretty simple. Yeah, um, and then everybody so gets to play every – well, every player gets to play every team in the conference during home their and away. Home and away, you know. So, so yeah, it would be the, the easiest and best scenario. The, the, the question and the, the problem, the dilemma, all is wrapped into one, is does everybody have three rivals that they want to vouch for? Iowa, yes, absolutely it does. It's pretty simple. Um, other teams kind of do. You know, even, you know, you look at Michigan. Michigan could say Michigan State and Ohio State for sure. Then who's their third? Well, you know, they played Illinois almost 100 times. They haven't been in the same division. It's that big of a deal. Uh, Minnesota, they played 105 times. So they played for the Jug. That's pretty cool. What about one of the Eastern schools? You know, Rutgers, Maryland. Uh, likewise, Ohio State could, you know, it's probably Penn State, Michigan. And then, you know, it could be Illinois, who, they, who they've played. It's one of the most played series in Big Ten history. Uh, do they want them to play, you know, Maryland and Rutgers? Nobody wants to play Maryland and Rutgers as, you know, for as a rivalry game. You know, what about Nebraska? You know, when Nebraska, Iowa for sure, but does Wisconsin count? Or do you want to go out of California? You know, so there's a lot of different discussions with that. And nobody, you know, nobody's really settled on anything. You know, the, the theory that I, and I've talked to them about this is, I see like th there would be 24 um, protected series in a four-year block, 10 of which I think are legitimately protected games that need to be. Iowa has three. The problem is the other 14, you know, <laughs> and, and, and so to me, the, the easiest and best path is just protect like the other 14 for a four-year block and then recycle it if you want to. So that way, if let's say Nebraska Let's make, you know, because of your proximity and you're still kind of a new member, you're going to play Iowa every year, USC and UCLA, or maybe UCLA and Minnesota or something like that. And then at the end of four years, um, you know, we, you, you mix, mix it up. Maybe it's Wisconsin every, four, you know, you play four years. Or for like Penn State, maybe it's Ohio State, USC, and then Rutgers, and then the next four-year block, you take Rutgers off and put Maryland on. So you're playing Maryland Rutgers six times over an eight-year period instead of four and then eight. So there are ways you can kind of maneuver it. Uh, but, you know, again, what happened today with the schedules and what's kind of been building all fall is they couldn't figure it out what they wanted to do. There were a lot of different points. And so they decided, let's just keep it the way it is this year, unveil something completely new in 2024. This gives us time to set a structure and allow USC and UCLA, who will be best of members from day one, unlike the other teams, and uh, they'll, uh, they'll have a voice too. Yeah, and that's a great point there too, because time was starting to tick there when we're looking at October 2022, late mm -hmm. October 2022, next week is November. And you don't have your next year figured out. That's a little bit of a time crunch. Of course, last year they revised the schedule 
pretty late. So it's doable to be able to negotiate or manage that. But that's a great segue to the schedule release, which as we record it happened earlier today. Iowa's crossover games at Penn State, then versus Michigan State, first two games of the Big Ten schedule are crossovers for Iowa. Then later in the year, playing home against Rutgers. Then in terms of the games that are at home, these aren't really a surprise. You get Purdue at home, Minnesota at home. Yeah, Purdue, Minnesota, and Illinois at home. Then Northwestern on the road, Nebraska on the road. Of course, Northwestern's kind of the weird road game of, okay, if they're going to be working on their stadium, mm-hmm. we'll see how much of a true road game that is. And it isn't really even much of a road game anyways when you think of how many Iowa fans make the trip to Evanston. If it ends up being somewhere else like Soldier Field, all the easier for Chicago alumni to make that trip. Yeah, and I don't know if, if you know, I, I think they're going to delay it now by a year, which is really unfortunate because then I could see like Northwestern cycling off Iowa's schedule and then they never uh, get a special game like Wrigley or Soldier Field or Timbuktu or whatever, <laughs> um, you know, which really stinks. But no, I, I think um, it's it's going to be, it's interesting because, you know, it's a year where, and, and this is something that, you know, bears watching is when you cycle, Iowa cycle right now and Iowa State cycle sync up, meaning that the big, t- they have, both teams have went to their leagues and said, this is a series worth protecting. And so they allowed the, the West sink and the, the big 12 allowed Iowa state sink to allow the Iowa state, Iowa one without getting any kind of, Oh, you've got four, you know, you've got five road games or, or, you know, six road games or something like that for the big 10, but the sink isn't going to be the same way now going forward. So that could be really, that could bear watching for Iowa that, you know, okay, now they play five big 10 home games um, in 2024, what if they get five Big Ten home games, including Iowa State, and the next year it's only four, and they're supposed to be at Iowa, home Iowa State, and then on the road at Iowa State, they're not going to go for that. So that could be uh, that could be something very watching in the future. Because there isn't much that could jeopardize Cyhawk, it seems, because Barta has spoken very positively about it. Pollard has spoken very positively about it. Overall, they use the line of how it's good for the state. And I think it genuinely is good for the state to have that game, but that's maybe one of those things where, okay, if you have the five big 10 home games, I'm kind of doing math while on air. So we'll see how good my math skills are, but five big 10 home games plus Iowa state at home and six plus probably the other two games at home. You go from eight home games to six which is probably a little difficult from a revenue standpoint of having, okay, these years we have to budget for this much. And then those years, okay, we don't have that money coming into the program. And that's where the game gets dropped because seven is the absolute number for Iowa. It's all, it's been that way for a long, long time since the, since the schedule expanded to 12 in 2006, that, they in order to make their budget it's based on that i mean because an average football game 
not only the tickets sold, but beer sold and everything else. I mean, you're approaching between, you know, six and a half to $8 million a game. And so that kind of revenue, you're not going to get from any other sport for the entire season, including men's basketball. So, uh, you know, I think that's where that series can create can be a little bit sketchy. If, if you're not going to, if you're going to get six home games, I don't know if Iowa will do that because that's been part of their whole discussion that they're not willing to do is um, lose to go down to, from seven to, to six. So, but it bears watching. Maybe they'll sync it up the same way, but um, I think there'll be less interest in, in helping out uh, the Big Ten will, you know, because now they've got everybody individually, not just one division and the other division. Yeah, and that just makes it that much more of a, I don't know if headache is the right word for it, but they've got that many more balls that they're juggling up in the air. And, okay, do you really want to go out of your way to help this Big 12 school? Mm-hmm. It's, well, yeah, that's the question. Well, exactly. So, you know, that could lead to uh, a one-year break, which obviously happened during COVID, could lead to a multi-year break or a permanent one, you know, just sometimes it gets permanent, not on anybody's wall, just the way it works. So I think it's uh, it's something that, you know, could very well be just, hey, just watch for this and it doesn't happen to, uh-oh, you know, 2026 or whatever it's, uh, or 2025, let's say, when Iowa's due to be at Iowa State, and they only have four home ten, Big Ten games. Um, Iowa could say, you know what, that that does meet one of the clauses in, in us exiting, and and uh, you know then maybe they play somebody else for a year or two or something like that. Yeah, and that's where like a one year break. I don't think any, the fan base would revolt over by any means. I think people would be disappointed if it was a maybe more so in Ames than in Iowa City, which me saying that might just have stirred the pot a little bit. Here's. <laughs> Here's the, the, you know, yeah, I, I have done that on accident before too. Um, <laughs> what you want to, what you want to think about with that is central Iowa is very Iowa, Iowa state focused and that's Iowa fans and Iowa state fans. Eastern Iowa is a little more big 10 focused. There is a very strong vocal minority. And I mean, minority who do not want this series to, be good, to go on. They don't think it, Iowa has anything to gain by it there's a very even smaller minority of Iowa state fans who feel the same way because some years this might be one of them. Now they won. So it doesn't matter, but there's some years in the past, especially when they lost that, you know, they might be five and seven. And if they didn't play Iowa and they played, take your pick, you know, another FCS team or something, maybe they get to the, you know, a bowl game when that was the ultimate for them. So, um, you know, there, there are rational reasons for it. Um, Again, I there's some really diehard Iowa fans who don't want to play them anymore. But, but I, I think when you look at like last year's game was top ten matchup, and year before that or game before that, you know, game day was there too. It, it's a prominent rivalry, and it's one that you just can't easily toss aside because, for all the people who complain about it, there are substantially more who like it. And oh one, yeah, because in their neighborhood in Fort Dodge or Davenport or or Cedar Rapids, you know, and and at work and at school and, and in church and everywhere else that it's 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 fun. People enjoy it. So not playing would be a big deal. 
And you have all the little things like the cyclone stage billboards and all of those things that make it just special. And okay, if you're one of the Iowa fans who doesn't want Cyhawk to continue, okay, would you rather see another buy game? I don't think that's an exciting product. I think you need another Power 5 opponent on the schedule. So would you rather play Syracuse? Would you rather play Washington State? You know, you can look at a lot of the other Power 5 schools and you say, okay, that doesn't have the same juice to it that an in-state game like Iowa, Iowa State will, would pretty much always have. And that's that's the biggest issue of all. Like when the the talk a year ago about the alliance was that they would either drop it down to, to eight games in the Big Ten to accommodate the alliance, or they would just say, "Hey, this is going to be our non-conference game." Um, yeah, it, it's one thing if you're going to play USC or you're going to play Clemson or Florida State, um, but that well gets dried up pretty quick. Just like hey, a Clemson Ohio State game, Michigan USC, you bet. Sign me up. Penn State, Oregon. Yeah. Um, Iowa, you know, Oregon State. Yeah. And I, I'm not buying that one. You know, it's going to be on ESPNU, you know. So and and that's that's why the alliance died really quick mm-hmm. was when the Big Ten started going to through its uh, motion <laughs> of, <laughs> of uh, you know, it was like, well, if we cut down to one and we play an alliance game and then you started looking and like last year, they had 32 games. They registered at least three and a half million viewers and the ACC had five, you know, so, you know, you're looking at that going, uh, yeah, you, you know, so do you want Iowa to play Michigan state and get 4 million people watching it? Or do you want Iowa to go to Boston college and get 1.8, you know, and Michigan state going to North Carolina state, um, you know, and that might not even be on a network that you're signed up with. So that's where that kind of started to go. Uh, you know, we're, we're just going to keep this all in house and maybe expand. So, uh, you know, and then, yeah, the Iowa, Iowa state series has a lot of moments. It's kind of like what Jamie Pollard has said before that, look, um, when he goes to community functions, church, whatever, um, there's not a Kansas state fan sit next to it. There's not, you know, a KU fan or you know, maybe a Nebraska fan on the time to time, but certainly it's, they're all Iowa. And, and even in Cedar Rapids, um, you know, with all the great companies there, they've got, um, you know, a lot of uh, Iowa State fans, engineers, you know. Collins Aerospace, so, perfect absolutely. example. They hire a lot of engineers. Right, exactly. So uh, you've got all these great companies that, that share. And like my wife's family, she's the second of six. Um, three of her sisters graduated from Iowa State. She graduated from Iowa. One of her, one of those sisters that graduated from Iowa State got her master's at Iowa, and her two brothers went to Northern Iowa. So they're truly an in-state family like that. And, you know, the my mother-in-law roots for everybody. Um, you know, so I, I do call Iowa, Iowa State the mother-in-law rivalry because of that. <laughs> you know, gun to her head, she'll probably go with Iowa State, but really it's, um, you know, it kind of works both ways there, but so, you know, but that's more this, that's more like what the state is and less like, Oh, I just want to play Iowa. It's just a really <laughs> narrow and we experience it a lot too. So. Oh yeah. Your comment about Iowa, Oregon state, that could be the Spencer Petrus ball. 
<laughs> considering yeah. that's where he's committed before. I don't yeah. think Iowa fans want to stick to that name too long. Yeah, let's. We should just leave that one kind of be. But uh, you know, they did. They they did play in a Rose Bowl once, and Iowa didn't win that. So that was back in the fifties under Forrest Evashevsky. Nice history there. Yeah. yeah. So now let's switch gears to last five games of the season. Obviously, not an ideal start to the year, three and four, and in a stretch against only two ranked opponents. Now Illinois is in the poll. Two, so I guess you'd say two with an asterisk, but still certainly not a great start. Got five games left. This is not the hardest five games, but the thing is, it doesn't matter if well, it matters, but you can have a not super difficult five games, but if your offense is not producing, it might not matter so much whether you're playing against a top 25 team or that next tier team, if you can't score points. That's the whole point right now. This, you know, every, and in my opinion is in the remaining five games, the best unit on the field is going to be Iowa's defense. And the mm-hmm. worst unit on the field is going to be Iowa's offense. And how do you keep that together? You look at the way Iowa played against Iowa state and Illinois because I think those are the kind of opponents that they're going to face the rest of the way. Illinois, or I mean, I think Purdue might be a little better depending on the day than the rest of the bunch, but, um, and a more difficult matchup, but, but really they were very, very, very close there. And if the offense just helps them out a little bit, they win those games instead, you know, they don't. And, and so the, the offense is going to have to generate something. If you were to say, even to get to 17 points. And, and I think they do win three out of five, uh, probably not five out of five, but I think mm-hmm. they can win three out of five with 17 points a game, but this offense can't get there. And no. that's, that's the problem. I mean, you know, the, the reason why I got to, you know, 27 against Nevada is had two really long runs. You know, the reason why I got 27 at Rutgers is had two defensive touchdowns. That's just, and you know, this is, statistically the worst big 10 offense over the last 25 years and therefore with the change in an offense it might be the worst offense in big 10 history and i'm not even being hyperbolic yeah so you've got last year i always i said kind of (laughs) tongue-in-cheek throughout the season you just got to find a way to squeeze the last drops of ketchup out of the bottle this time it's like i don't know what you're gonna do you know because this is worse than last year. And last year was really a, a, a real grind to get to anything. So um, it really starts up front, I think, more than anything else. The inability to, to run the football and pass protect is really up on the offensive line. And, and I think that's, if I'm picking one area for Iowa this year, that's the most disappointing. It's, it's offensive line. It just has not gelled. It hasn't grown. It hasn't gotten more consistent. And when you look at the last five games, I mean, this is going to be the most winnable, um, mm-hmm. you know, but they're capable of beating Iowa. I think all of them are, I think all of them are winnable and I think Iowa conversely is capable of losing them all. Um, but I don't see a path to six without getting this one. Yeah. I just don't. I think it, you know, you can split the final four, but um, so it really starts to me on for Iowa on, on Saturday and beating a team that's beat them three straight at home and has Every time but one that Iowa has been a double-digit favorite against uh, Northwestern when Pat Fitzgerald has been there, they've lost outright. And then last year was the first time they got over that hump. 
but they only won by five points. So and it was uh, not a very attractive game there too. No. Like it was a very close and way closer and it should be five point game. If that game would have lasted seven more minutes, <laughs> they would have <laughs> lost that one too. You know, and I don't even want to bring up some names because it'll make people cringe, you know, hearing about, you know, path, you know, the Ricky Stanzi's injury in 2009, um, you know, 2010, they're up 10 points. I mean, three straight years, they're up by double digits and lost. And then two years ago, which was really the farther we removed we are, the more important that game became um, to give, to be up 17 to nothing and then lose at home when nobody's in the stands, but still. Yeah. Um, that cost them a chance to go to Indianapolis. By the end of the year, they were the best team, you know, maybe the second best team in the Big Ten, maybe the best. It cost them a lot. And um, so Northwestern has been a perpetual thorn in the side with Pat Fitzgerald uh, in Iowa, and it's made for a great rivalry. I don't think you can dismiss it. No. And to your point about this really being a must win, I forgot who I was saying this to, but Really, you look at it, if you lose Northwestern, the next four teams are going to be tougher matchups, most likely, than Northwestern. Mm -hmm. So if you can't beat the team that you'd probably put right now as number five on that list, okay, it's hard to see a situation where you win three of the other four. Particularly Minnesota's defense, I think that – you look at Minnesota's defense versus Iowa's offense, that – could be a tough matchup. Wisconsin has looked like a different team under Jim Leonard. Of course, the strength of schedule has not been super difficult there when one of those games is against Michigan State, another one's against Northwestern. So you've got that asterisk on it. You have Purdue. That's not a great matchup for Iowa. Of course, you have the Charlie Jones distraction that there will be all week leading up to that. And then Nebraska has even looked a little better than before. So that's another situation, kind of like Wisconsin, where they fire their coach and then there seems to be a little more energy the rest of the year. One thing that the final four opponents all have is some aspect of their offense they can lean on. Minnesota Mm -hmm. has an absolutely tremendous running back in Mo Ibrahim. He's beast mode. He's Marshawn Lynch and they can run the football and they showed it last year. You know, now they have a different offensive line, but they're, they're capable of moving the ball. I was not. Uh, When you look at Wisconsin, they have uh, their offensive line isn't very good this year comparatively, but they have a great running back and they have potential to move the ball. Um, When you look at uh, Nebraska, they can, they have explosive playmakers. Purdue of course does. We know that. And the fear is, you just don't have the playmakers to keep up. And if your defense gives up a big play, one big play a game, it could get you beat. And yeah. um, so that's really the, the big fear that, and why they need to, this, this team just so badly needs an exhale. It needs a, to feel good about itself, you know? And if that's a, it needs a 65 yard touchdown pass. It, it needs a, a, the football version of an enema. You know, just, just you're backed up. Just let it go, and and so you've got um, you know, like if, and I'm I'm just throwing out like if whoever quarterback plays, I, I would expect Alex Kabia, but if it, yeah, say that in one way or the other, throws a 65 yard touchdown pass to Brody Brecht this week, 
that team will be feeling really good about itself. And it needs to, because watching Arlen Bruce the other day, I was, I felt really sad, if nothing else, because God, you know, he's a great kid. He's got a great personality. He's fun to be around and he's just miserable. This is just like chewing rocks, you know, for him. And, and so, yeah. you know, you want to see him, it's football, it's fun. People talk about it, people love it. So you want to see him go out and have fun, but you know, Northwestern has the same issue and they have, you know, probably the best player on the field in Peter Skaronsky, you know, the left tackle, yeah. he's, he's a beast. And they have a really good running back and they have a quarterback who made plays last week against Maryland. And, and so they're not going to go away. They never have. And you're going to be prepared for that. It's just a matter of can Iowa's offense execute three scoring drives, one of which being a touchdown. <laughs> and if they can, then maybe, maybe they get past this one. If they feel good about themselves, then they're going to, and if they play well and they win decisively, then they're going to really get into a pretty strong confidence boost and then feel like, okay, they owe Purdue something, not only for the personal factor, but there's a lot of starch there. And to go back to your point of a 65-yard touchdown pass, just like let that sink in for viewers, just how foreign that sounds right now. Where when you said that, I was thinking, whoa, that would be like strange to see. Like, and there are many things I can point to for why that hasn't happened this mm-hmm. year, whether it's the play calling, whether it's the offensive line, whether it's the quarterback situation, whether it's the lack of depth at receiver. But just yeah. the fact that a 65 yard touchdown pass sounds so foreign. Yeah is kind of the most telling part of this first seven game stretch. It would be, it would be tremendous. I think, I think people would, wouldn't know how to cheer, (laughs) you know, they'd stand up and, you know, hug, kiss their radios as Jim Zabo used to say, but, you know, (laughs) I I think, uh, you know, I'm trying to remember like, okay, there was the, the bowl game screen pass to Sam Laporta, but really the last big pass plays, Charlie Jones and Keegan Johnson <laughs> against Minnesota last year. And, um, you know, and then the other part is that when you look over the last 15 games, once the 6-0 stretch ended, uh, they have five touchdown passes and they have four defensive uh, touchdowns and three safeties. So the defense, it, the defense itself, not special teams, but defense itself has equaled the number of passing scores. Um, that's, that's unacceptable, frankly. You just can't do that in today's football. No. So if they can, you know, again, Alex Padilla, you know, he throws a big touchdown pass. Or even Petrus, if it's Petrus out there, he throws a big, long touchdown pass. And maybe two. Maybe they have two touchdown passes. Imagine that. Um, <laughs> that, <laughs> you know, I don't know what the world would think. But, you know, and if say it's like was 2020 was kind of this way or 2019 I should say was kind of this way where Iowa won 20 to nothing um they had a really good defense man or just a brutal offense and so their offense was real comparable to Iowa's maybe uh, maybe not quite as bad but it wasn't good at all um and so it, it could be kind of similar to that if if Iowa can break through with a, a touchdown pass or two it's funny when you bring up that 2019 Northwestern game, that was my first Iowa game that I worked for the Gazette when I was a freelancer helping out Morehouse. So it's funny how as a lot of other things have changed, we're talking about some of the same things with Iowa Northwestern games. 
Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a series that um, Pat Fitzgerald, bless his heart, has really pushed into a rivalry. You know, yeah. it, was, it started back in 95, of course, the kind of the 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 Jesus Christ moment for their <laughs> for their program where they the AD and the BC and that's kind of 95 was that year for them and it was a tremendous year there's I was in college it was the it was as good of a year as you'll ever have and they have they have turned it into a rivalry and Pat Fitzgerald has turned it into a rivalry consistently to the point where you can you know people used to call it JNW just Northwestern you just can't do that anymore <laughs> because they have They've ruined a lot of really good years in Iowa. And I mean, have pushed it down a little bit, cost them championships. And, and this, uh, if they beat Iowa, it would really, uh, it would send the, the rest of the fan base from anger to apathy. And yeah. that's, that's what, that's the least thing that a program wants right now. Yeah. It seems like it almost feels like it's that last straw right now from that anger to apathy when you look at everything that's happened if this offense was just below average not one of the worst in college football easily the worst among power five teams if it was just below average we're likely talking about a five and two team that could secure its bowl eligibility with a win here we're looking at this is a team that needs this game to have a chance at a ball and that's just such a stark difference there and to not hear of changes it can be frustrating for fans I'm sure when you're seeing this not work and then we're asking the questions and the answers are pretty clear that they aren't shaking up things much and when you don't make big changes you can't really expect a big improvement sometimes yeah well exactly and that's the problem right now that when fans watch especially the first game then the second game and you're like just do something different try something different new quarterback you know, new offense, hike it to the center, you know, hike, have the center hike it to the running back and have him throw passes, something different, you know, just do something. And, and, and instead it's the nope, same thing, same thing. And that really eats on people because the offense has never been the hallmark of this team. I mean, at times no. it's been offensive line and they had good tight ends and, you know, occasionally a good running back. But now you're to that point of, this is the worst. And I'm not, I mean, and it's not hyperbolic to suggest it might be the worst in college football history. And that's the problem. It's not, I'm not kidding. I'm not, you know, some of my colleagues have kind of, when we've talked, it's been like, it was funny before, but now it's, it's beyond funny. It's, it's like, this is, this is terrible. This is terrible for the fans. And, and after the season, if there are no personnel changes um, that you can expect so in my opinion, I would not be surprised if you see at minimum a 40% drop in season ticket sales. Because if, they, if Brian Ferentz comes back as offensive coordinator, if they don't get a quarterback, uh, a recognizable name in the transfer portal, if they don't decide, okay, we're going to shift this stuff around. If none of it happens, um, fans aren't going to buy it. And I no. don't blame them, you know, because- Why football, would they? It's entertainment for crying out loud. And you're not entertained. You know, you want your team to win and you love watching the defense and you love watching the punter. But if you can't, the team can't score points. I mean, 
you know, it's like watching a basketball team, a great defensive basketball team, win or lose with 45 points every day. It's just like, God, this is, this isn't fun. I can, I can do something else in my life. And, and you do, and as the University of Iowa does not want you to think that way because that happened in basketball and they're still paying the price for it. Yeah. And it's funny that you bring that up because I'll hear from like my Marquette J school classmates who are like in shock that I watch this on a weekly basis. And like my eyes haven't bled out or anything just because to everyone outside of Iowa where we've seen it and it doesn't seem that, well, it seems strange, but it's what we're used to as weird as that sounds for the last seven weeks. It's like astronomically just unfathomable for a lot of other programs. And to your point, this is entertainment. Like you can spend a lot of money on Iowa Hawkeyes tickets, or you can go on a fun trip in December to Florida or California or something. And when you think of the... Now, this is really quick math off the top of my head, but when you think of the iClub minimum donation, when you think of the ticket cost, all that, if you don't have a better product to sell people, it's going to be really hard to say, yeah, go with the Hawkeye tickets rather than your nice warm trip to Florida. Yeah, because you can't guarantee success. You can't say that, okay, we're going to win these games. You know, there are there are rivalry games. They want to win too. You know, and that and that's just that's really an important thing to think of. But you want to at least feel like your team is a has a chance and b is doing everything it can to be in there. And and it is it's an entertainment product. And you know, I mean, like Fran's team hasn't had probably the same level of success Perks has, but it has led the Big Ten in scoring the last four years. So <laughs> uh, so at least it gets up and down the floor, and that's fun to watch. And and I think that's the same thing with, with football here. As part of a, a network at The Athletic, you know, that I communicate with my colleagues around the country on a daily basis, they're aghast. I mean, they're like, I can't believe you have to watch this. You know, and they're covering USC, you know, Antonio and USC and, you know, and, and Aaron and, and Alabama and, you know, Seth and Georgia. I mean, they, we've got, you know, 30 different beat writers around the country covering plus like seven or eight national ones going to these games. And they're like, oh, you know, we had, <laughs> I, I have a weekly part in our, uh, the Andy Staples show and friends with, Andy and uh, Ari Wasserman, and we banned the word Iowa this week from our <laughs> podcast. We just will not bring that school's name up because it was just, you know, it, some people don't want to hear it and other people want to make fun of it. And for me, they figured it's a trigger word, so we didn't <laughs> use it. And and so, but but you're, you're a laughing stock and it's going to kill you in recruiting. It will. You, you think you could walk into a wide receiver's house right now and say, hey, come to Iowa and play for us? No, they're going to want to say, they'd rather go to Kent State where, you know, at least they'll get the ball, you know? So I think that's something that they've got to be cognizant of. And, and that's really a big, almost existential question for the program going forward is if Kirk Ferentz has to adapt and how much he adapts will determine how successful they are in his final stint as head coach. 
And I think the thing going along those lines that now you're starting to run into is with that recruiting. And I consider that a transfer portal mm-hmm. recruiting too, yeah. where, okay, if you're a quarterback and you're considering Iowa, right now, if you watch Iowa, you think, wow, I don't feel great about how I'm not very confident in how they're going to develop me as a quarterback right, right. now. Yeah, exactly. Like, you, know, you just don't have that confidence there. So yeah. do you go to well, exactly. Iowa or do you go to a group of five school that, okay, you're not going to be under as much of the big lights, but at least you have some opportunity to showcase your skill in a position where you're set up to succeed. Well, exactly. Um, you know, they had a couple of prospects they were very interested in. It didn't work out. They were very interested in, and then they decided to go status quo. And yes, I'm not going to give them an A for effort for trying on that. You know, you either get it or you don't. And I know they tried. It didn't work out. Now it's like, oh my God, now there's no try. You know, you saw what happens when you sit and do nothing. Now, the things you can sell. And, you know, they do have two, the next two freshmen are very talented that they have lined up, you know, now recruiting's not over until they sign the piece of paper, but um, Margo Lane is and, and uh, Razor, James Razor. Uh, but the, your next year, um, I don't think Spencer Peters will come back for a sixth year. I, I would expect him to go somewhere else, maybe, you know, anywhere else. Um, and, you know, and Alex Padilla, you need to get a you need to get a grip to see if he's the guy or not, and this is the one period where you can, and you already know what Spencer Petras is and isn't. So I, I I would expect that would make most sense. And then you also have to know what you have on your staff or on your team. Is Carson May or is Joey Labus are they legitimate or not? Are they just guys or or are they guys that can start and win games for you? They really need to know that because I, I would expect that if this was any other program, but Iowa, and they actually try to do stuff like this, I would expect them to go out and, and really investigate, see who might be out there, FCS, G5, maybe even FBS quarterbacks who might be available and see about bringing one in because what you could sell them is look, yes, the offensive line struggled this year, but it's very talented. We've got a five-star tackle coming in. He'll probably start from day one. He's coming in in, in January. Um, it's young, but it's, it's getting better. And we feel like, uh, things could, could go in, but, uh, oh, wait, but we just got a, um, uh, a note from Kirk Ferentz. He said he wanted to apologize for his, uh, comments. Well, got some news here to talk yeah. about right now. Yeah. So. Here's uh, yet he says his message. I'd hope to join the Zoom call this morning, but practice longer lasted longer than anticipated. Wanted to take a moment to apologize for my comments during the news conference yesterday. I should not have been dismissive of one of your colleagues. His questions were fair. I have a high respect for the work that you do, and I'm appreciative of how you cover our team. You ask tough and pointed questions, but do so with a high degree of professionalism. I tell our players to take the high road, and yesterday I did not do the same thing. So that's, uh, that's interesting that Kirk would say that. So, Yeah, very interesting. I think he probably recognized pretty quickly the mistake he made with those comments. 
And, you know, Doug Maurice is one of the most respected college football columnists in the country. And his questions, I thought, were very much fair to ask. And, yeah, when you make comments about how, especially, I think the other thing is considering his situation, he's the highest paid public employee in the state. And you're saying, at least I don't have that guy's job. That doesn't necessarily, that already adds to some difficult optics there. Yeah, it's, it's not good for him. And uh, I, I think uh, it's understandable to let his emotions kind of get the best of him. And that's really unfortunate for him. But I, I think, you know, at least he owned up to him. Some many coaches will not. And, uh, and so I, I think that's probably a good thing for him. And, um, you know, it, it's a tough look. I cringed, honestly, when I saw him, but I also, I didn't really want to go out on a, on a bang with him, you know, like other people did. So um, we'll see where, where this leads, um, you know, going forward. Yeah. So then kind of going back onto the uh, current, where is the team at? Quarterback-wise, they have a decision to make, a decision that if it has been made, has not been made public yet. I think you have to give Alex Padilla a shot here to see what you have in a game situation that's not number two team in the country on the road with a center that, you probably haven't been taking many first team snaps with even in practice and first one in game Mm -hmm. right there. I think you have to at least see what you have with Alex Padilla. It's time. We know what we have, what we've seen with, with Spencer Petras. Um, He's had more than enough time, two and a half years as a starter. Um, It doesn't diminish from what I think of him as a person, as, as a leader, as stuff flies around my head in <laughs> um, every other aspect of his life and career, I think very highly of him. I think he's maybe the most accountable football player I've ever been around at any mm. level, NFL, college, high school, whatever. Um, I think that highly of him. However, it's about production on the field. The offense is not produced. Um, it has, he's had every opportunity to produce. Alex Padilla, if you have confidence in him, it's time for him to, to take the reins. If he's not very good, he'll prove that too. Um, and if it means that they don't go to a bowl game, then they don't go to a bowl game. You know, then, mm-hmm. then you know, at this point, I mean, the bowl games matter. Don't get me wrong. You want to get to six wins at minimum. You want to have that those extra practices in, in December. It is an important aspect of your program. You could say, look, even in a down year where we weren't very good on offense, we at least won enough games to go to a bowl game. You want to have that because Nebraska hasn't had that for a long time. No, but, but, you know, Illinois, you know, up until this year would give whatever to do to get there. Um, so you do have that, you know, in your pocket, but if it, if it means that you find out that Alex Padilla is not your guy, and you need to go out and get somebody. Now's the time to find that out. You don't want to get to the end of the season and you're six and six anyway with Petrus. And then next year it's like, well, we'll just stick with Padilla. No, find out. If, maybe he's good. Maybe you screwed up the evaluation all these years. Yeah. Or practice maybe, is only practice. I mean, so it's time. 
he last year he had he had to start and he didn't do very well against Nebraska, but he had the flu. Um, he didn't look very good against uh, Illinois because he had five dropped passes. Uh, Minnesota, he made it. He made it happen. Charlie Jones made it happen. Keegan Johnson made it happen. They won a game that they probably should have lost. So overall, make it just make the change. That's all it is. Rip the bandaid off. It's time. Move on. Yeah, and to your point. Also, I give a lot of credit to Spencer with he gets thrown out there or had been getting thrown out there to us and really had to answer questions that probably be more fitting for the offensive coordinator to answer. But with the way that Iowa does things, we only get the offensive coordinator so many times. So credit to Spencer, too, for having to sit in there and take a lot of tough questions and ones that I'm sure are not easy to get as somebody in their early 20s. No, he's, he's handled himself like a champ. Um, we get more access to the offensive coordinator now than we have before. And, you know, whether, you know, Brian has, has been up front, I think, for the most part. Uh, but, you know, in the previous eras, you know, with his Greg Davis and then Ken O'Keefe, we rarely got offensive coordinators. So um, they've been better with that. But uh, of all the quarterbacks I've dealt with at Iowa, I'd say the only one that's even close to Spencer it's probably Ricky Stanzi, but even then he wasn't. You know, Spencer is stands out. Paul um, has done a, a yeoman's work, and I think he'll be a really good coach someday. Yeah. Um, but you know, again, it's it's not about who I like. You know, you've got at some point, you know, who's a great leader. He is, but it's about production on the field, and it's time to you got to see what you got. And if things are so bad with Padilla, if they're every you know, you can internally say, I told you so, and go back to Petrus, fine. But I think you need to answer that question because that question has been lingering when you say we have a lot of confidence in a guy and then you don't let him take a snap until it's a million to nothing or a million to 10 at, at Ohio State. Yeah, and 10 throws. Like, I watched carefully all 10 of those throws, but at the end of the day, they're 10 throws and you can't really make a judgment for what you should do for next year's 12 maybe 13 games based on 10 throws in really difficult circumstances no question it's it's a very difficult place to play it's difficult circumstances just like the big 10 championship it was a blowout you're getting in um that's number two team in the country man you know and, and michigan was number four so those two teams are better than iowa no question and what you want to do is how does he do against teams of comparable ability and, and standing uh, Northwestern fits into that realm right now. Uh, certainly the remaining four do is do too. give him a chance to see if he can do it. If he can't do it, then fine. Then put Spencer back in or look at the next guy. But I think now's the time. If you, if you delay this anymore, you're probably going to lose your fan base. Yeah. And people I think would respect you to at least give Alex the chance there. So we'll see what happens on Saturday. It should be an interesting or maybe a not so interesting if we get more of the status quo, but Mm -hmm. we'll see what happens in these next five games. Probably a little early to talk bowls. You still have to get three games, but you know, if you could get to a guaranteed rate bowl or something like that, I think that you'd say, that would be a decent second half of the season considering where you started at. Yeah. And I mean, I just kind of end on this part is, 
These games are personal. They're, they're teams you recruit against. They're teams you've played countless times in history. They matter. Um, Wisconsin, the both. They have it. You don't. Yeah. Um, Floyd Rosedale is the greatest traveling trophy in, in college sports. Um, Nebraska series. You recruit against them probably as much as anybody. Um, Purdue, they stole two of your players, including your, you know, they turned a, uh, an average receiver into an All-American, and that makes you look really bad. And, and Northwestern, yeah. you recruit Chicago, you go against a lot of the same kids for, for them too, and uh, you want to get into Chicago, and, and hey, you know, we beat them. We beat them when we weren't even very good. So uh, this is really important. Um, personal, they play these teams, um, they're you know, it's it's one thing to play somebody from the other side of the, of the country. It's another thing to play somebody in your own backyard. And you got to win those games because you do not want you do not want to see up at Huntington Bank Stadium the Gophers, led by PJ Fleck, mind you, him running to the to the pig ahead of his home players. You don't want to see that. No. So that's a great way to end things, Scott. Thanks for joining me. Yeah. Thanks, John, for having me. And thanks to our listeners for tuning into another episode of the Hawk Off the Press podcast. Mike and I will be back with another edition of Hawk Off the Press after the final score, after Saturday's game against Northwestern. Until then, we will talk Hawks later. Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.